long time ago, last Sunday. I've been thinking a lot about last Sunday and how good it was to be able to share what God has been doing in our lives. How good it was to be able to celebrate the hard times as well as the easier times in life. And as I was thinking about sharing, I realized that uh, you got to be careful who you give the microphone to. Some of you are thinking, oh, please don't call on me. You got to be careful who you give the microphone to. I asked Carly if I could say this, so this uh, permission has been given. Last week, I don't know if you caught it, but when she stood up, she, I gave her the mic, and she sarcastically said to me, you're actually going to give me the mic? I don't know if you caught that. That had nothing to do with what she shared last week. What she shared was fantastic. It was awesome. It was evidence of God moving in her life this past week. That comment stems back quite a few years when there was a couple of times where Carly shared. And uh, we had talked through what she was going to share. It was, it was beautiful. It was pre-planned. And then she stood up and she had a mic and something completely different came out. So five or six years ago, I said to her, hey, Miss Carly, if you ever share again, we're going interview style so that I can take the microphone away from you if I need to. She did great last week, but you do have to be careful sometimes who you give the microphone to. Within the last 11 years, I'm not going to name any names, um, and I'm not going to say whether it was a male or a female, but sometime in the last 11 years, somebody came up to me and said, hey, can I make a quick announcement this morning? And I'm usually pretty good about saying yeah. So I did say yeah. And, and that person, male or female, stood up very passionate, very excited about the announcement that, the, that they were going to make. And they announced for close to 30 minutes. Sometimes you got to be careful who you give the mic to. Now, not to poke fun at other people and not at myself, okay? Uh, Dwight Spots, who hired me, it, it was probably New Year's Eve, um, 2006. It was a Sunday, and he had me do the, the call to worship, the announcements, and uh, we were joking around about, about saying something uh, about New Year's Eve and, and uh, celebrating safe, and, and I stood up, and I, man, what I said, I could tell offended quite a few people because there was only one person smiling, and it was Dwight Spots who was smiling in the back, shaking his head like, I cannot believe he said that. Because I'm telling you, you got to be careful as to who you give the mic to. I want to pray. We're going to let the story tell the story this morning. Lord God, I thank you so much for this morning where we have gathered. I thank you for the warmth inside. I thank you for the freedom that we have to worship in prayer, in community, in song, in word. And I thank you, Lord, that when we ask for your Holy Spirit, you give. So I pray, Lord, that this morning the Spirit would would guide our hearts. It would open our ears to hear what you want us to hear. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 13. It was the call to worship that you heard this morning. Leading up to Acts chapter 13, there had been a lot going on in the early church. There was a uh, a lot of persecution. See, Stephen had gotten stoned. He was killed. And the believers were forced to scatter. That led to James being killed and Peter being imprisoned. And it was a tough time for the early followers of Jesus, but it seemed like anywhere the message of Jesus was told, people would believe. People would come to faith. Churches were starting to form, and there was a church that formed in a small town called Antioch. And these were 
were, were the followers of the way, which is what they were called, were first called Christians. Now in Antioch, this church uh, brought up Paul and Barnabas and prayed for them and commissioned them and sent them out on their first missionary journey. And that's where we find ourselves within the first few days probably of their missionary journey in Acts chapter 13, verse 13. So we pick up their story early in their travels. Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. This was different than the Antioch that had sent them. On the Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue for the services. And after the usual readings from the books of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. So Paul stood lifted his hand to quiet them, and started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. Now, you've got to be careful who you give the mic to, right? As you can see, it's church day in our story. And Paul and Barnabas do what they have done throughout all their years growing up. See, they were good practicing Jews, so they get up and they go to the synagogue. Apparently, the leadership of the church heard that there was some itinerant preachers, some traveling evangelists that were in the house. So after their normal liturgical readings from Moses and from the prophets, which we would call the Old Testament, that was the scripture they had, those in charge, they asked Paul and Barnabas if they had any words to share. They said, come and share some words of encouragement for us. Now that would be like me starting a Sunday service and looking out and seeing the the bishop here, Bishop Matt. Sometimes he just wants to worship with us, doesn't want to speak. But there's other times where I say to him, hey, can you bring some words of encouragement? Can you share what's going on in the the, the Free Methodist Church globally and and in the nation? And and of course he does that, he shares. So that's kind of what the, the, the leadership of Acts chapter 13 was doing. Those in charge gave the microphone to Paul. And we get to see what he says starting in verse 16. So Paul stood, lifted his hand to quiet them, and he started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful army led them out of their slavery, he put up with them, or some of your translations will say he cared for them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and he gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After that, Paul continued, God gave them judges to rule them until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man of whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So far, so good. You know, the, uh, Paul is simply retelling the story of the Israelites. He's reminding them of their past, and he's showing them how their story fits with the story in the scriptures that they had. And then he quotes 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, speaking about David being a man after God's own heart. Now, that's a fantastic strategy, because All the Jews like David. 
He was the beginning of their greatest time period in their people. So if you're a guest speaker at a church and you want to name drop, name drop somebody who the church likes. Name drop somebody who they respect and appreciate. So, so far, so good. Like I said, the leadership of the church are probably thinking, yeah, good idea to give Paul the mic. But then Paul continues in verse 23. Actually, we'll look at the end of 22 and 23. I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. It is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. Now, I'm guessing there was a jolt in the synagogue amongst the leadership that day. I don't know for sure. I don't know if anybody knows how much the, the, the synagogue leadership knew about this Jesus character. Because again, as I pointed out, we love to tell the old, old story. It wasn't old then. I'm sure the people, at least the leadership in the synagogue that day, had heard about Jesus. Because he had traveled around the region and he had said enough things that offended Jewish leadership. He had said some things that many thought was blasphemous. You know, I I don't know what they knew. Maybe some of those in leadership had even been in Jerusalem over the Passover festivities and had heard or witnessed this Jesus character getting arrested and beaten and crucified. I don't know how many of them knew what took place in the three days following when Jesus was raised and then met with his followers in many different places, many different occasions. I'm not sure what these local Jewish synagogue leaders in the small town of Antioch of Pisidia knew about Jesus, but when Paul said what he did in verse 23, I think it was something like this. This Jesus is the Savior. A little mic drop. One minute he's talking about King David, the guy they like, And then he mentions Jesus, and he says, look, you guys who gave me the microphone, in case you don't know, I think he's the one. I think he's the promised Messiah. I wonder if Paul had a strategic long pause after he said what he did in verse 23, just to let it soak in. And it was one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who was God's promised Savior of Israel. And then he continued. Before he came, John the Baptist preached all that the people of Israel needed, that all the people of Israel needed to repent of their sins and turn to God and be baptized. And as John was finishing his ministry, he asked, do you think I am the Messiah? No, I'm not. But he is coming soon, and I am not even worthy to be a slave and untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers, you sons of Abraham and also you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation has been sent to us. I think they're probably starting to squirm a little bit. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as one of the prophets, as the one the prophets had spoke about. Instead, they condemned him. And in doing this, they fulfilled the the, the prophet's words that are read every Sabbath. They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyways. And when they had done all this, all that the prophecies had said about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. Paul mentions the prophecies right here, and he mentioned the prophets two verses earlier. I think what he's doing, again, is very strategic, because I'm guessing as he started talking about Jesus, 
who they may not have known much about, but if they had heard stuff of him, it may not have been good. When he starts saying he's the one, they're going to start to, to squirm. They're going to start to whisper in the neighbor's ears. And Paul, Paul doesn't want them to lose focus. So he draws them back to the things that would have connected to their heart, their own scriptures, their own law. He says, listen, this is what was written. And then he continues to tell their story. Verse 29. When they had done all this that the prophecies had said about him, they took him down from the cross and they placed him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. And now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise was made to our ancestors and God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. This is what the second Psalm says about Jesus. You are my son. Today I've become your father. For God had promised to raise him from the dead, not leaving him to rot in the grave. He said, I will give you the sacred blessing I promised to David. Verse 35, another Psalm explains it more fully. You will not allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. This is not a reference to David, Paul says. For after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died. And he was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. No, it was a reference to someone else. Someone whom God raised and whose body did not decay. And he grabs their attention again. Brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God, something the law of Moses could never do. Paul is good at quoting Old Testament, which would have been the only scriptures they had. He's, he's good at quoting their scriptures as he talks. Did you catch all the references in there? I mean, Psalm 2, 7, you are my son, today I've become your father. Isaiah 55, 3, I will give you the sacred blessing I promised David. Psalm 16, 10, you will not allow your holy one to rot in the grave. These are all texts that the people in the synagogue would have known. And Paul is using known texts to show the people in the church that Jesus was the answer. He was the fulfillment of their prophecies. It might have taken a little thinking. It might have taken a little heart work. But I think Paul's case was good. He says, here's what your Bible says. Here's how Jesus fulfills it. And then he starts the questionable stuff, the stuff where the, the leadership is probably elbowing each other saying, go get the mic back. Go take it back. He's, he's saying that again. Verse 38 and 39. Brothers, listen, we are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him has declared, is declared right with God, something the law of Moses could never do. Now, if those in charge weren't regretting giving him the mic yet, they had to have been after what he says next because he quotes another Old Testament reference. Verse 40, be careful, Paul says. Don't let the prophet's words apply to you for they said, look, you mockers, be amazed and die for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. As Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. And many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. And the two of the men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. 
The first mic drop was when he says Jesus is the Messiah. And then the second one comes when he quotes the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. Look, you mockers, be amazed and die, for I'm doing something in your own day, something you would not believe even if someone told you about it. We're in a short series, sermon series, looking at Old Testament quotes in the New Testament. And we're asking, why did those New Testament people quote that specific passage? What were they thinking? What were, what were they wanting the people who were listening to hear? What did they need to learn from it? And what do we need to learn from it? Now, when the prophet says what he does, or when Paul says what he does in verse 41, he's quoting the prophet Habakkuk. Very early in the prophet. Go ahead and flip there with me if you want. And if you don't know where it is, flip to the table of contents, find the page number, and turn there. That's how I did on Monday to find it. Okay? When I first laying out, when I first started laying out this series, this uh, why they say that series, I looked at today and, and I looked at the quote in Acts. And I looked at the quote in Habakkuk and I thought to myself, this is awesome. This is super exciting. God's doing something new. Everyone should be happy about it. Everyone should be looking for it. This is a positive quote. I mean, if anything, I thought it ties into Isaiah 43 when when God says, I'm about to do something new. You see, I've already begun it. In my initial preparation weeks ago, I only focused on the last half of verse 41 in Acts. For I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe if someone told you about it. And I thought, yes! As we are tackling this whole recalibrate idea this year, this is a great passage. God's going to do new things. God's going to do exciting things. He's going to do some stuff that he's already started working on. Now listen, I believe that. I believe that fully, that God's got great things in store for us. But I think my hope for having a nice and neat uh, sermon with these texts clouded what this text is really about. Because if you look at it in context, It's not a warm and fuzzy quote. It's not a nice quote. When you look in context in Habakkuk, we quickly realize that, well, the first four verses, this is is God and Habakkuk having a conversation. And Habakkuk's saying, God, what are you doing? He's saying, you're not listening to my prayers. And there is injustice, there's violence, there is destruction happening all around. What are you doing? I mean, the prophet's bold. And God's response starts in verse 5, and it's not a pleasant response. It's actually a stinging response. So Habakkuk just says that, God, why are you doing this? What are you doing? And, And God's response, look around at the nations and be amazed, for I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people, and they will march across the world and conquer other lands. God is telling Habakkuk, I'm going to use a people, a cruel, a violent, a heartless people for my purposes. I'm going to use them to do my will. Can you see why God would tell Habakkuk? You're not even going to believe it if I told you. Because that's unheard of. It's crazy sauce. God would never use a nation like the Babylonians to accomplish his purposes, would he? I mean, listen to how God describes them. These are just, uh, let's see, beginning of verse 7, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, they are notorious for their cruelty and they do whatever they like. Verse 9, on they come, all bent on violence. 
Verse 10, they scoff at kings and princes and they scorn all their fortresses. Verse 11, they sweep past the wind, sweep past like the wind and they're gone. But they are deeply guilty for their own strength is their God. Surely God would not use someone that his Jewish people would never have guessed to do his purposes. Would he? Surely God would never use a tactic or a strategy that his chosen one wouldn't believe to draw all people to himself. Could he? Would God really use someone, some tactic, some strategy that his own people wouldn't get? You can't give a microphone to somebody and have them share that God's going to do wild and crazy things that you're not going to like and you don't even understand. Can you see the synagogue leadership squirming in there right now? In telling a story about Jesus, about Jesus being the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets, Paul quotes this, this strange Habakkuk text. Now, for us today, if we were to hear a random Habakkuk text, we would think, oh, that's cool. But most of us don't know what the rest of the prophet says, right? Most of us don't. That wouldn't have been the case in the synagogue the day Paul was sharing because those people knew their scriptures inside and out. And if Paul quoted Habakkuk, they would have heard his quote, but they also would have been thinking about all the other things that Habakkuk talked about. And there are some great quotable quotes from this prophet. Chapter 2, verse 20. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of God. Chapter 2, verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Chapter 3, verse 2. I have heard all about you, Lord. I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our great need, help us again as you did in years gone by. In your anger, remember your mercy. And the prophet, the last things he says in his prophecy, says, yet all this stuff might be taking place. Yet I will rejoice, this is verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. By quoting Habakkuk, I think Paul knew that the rest of the church would have known some of these other quotable quotes. And they're talking about the awe, the might, the splendor, the amazing things that God can do. And I wonder if Paul used Habakkuk because he was hoping that that church would think, huh, maybe God could use something that would be unorthodox. Maybe. I mean, Paul could have also hoped that they would have thought to one of the more famous quotes in Habakkuk that we would know. Chapter 2, verse 4. The prophet says, look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their, and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. The just shall live by faith. I bet the synagogue leadership started thinking to themselves, what's he going to say now? Because th this is a system of religion where you're made right by your works. You're made right by the sacrifices they, that you do. You're made wrong by the actions you choose to do against God. And, and Paul starts 
quoting some odd texts. And, and we know that in Habakkuk, one of those texts is faith is how the just shall live, how the righteous shall live. Not, not works. That's, the works isn't going to make them right with God. Faith-based salvation instead of following the law. There's another crazy notion for the people Paul was listening to or the people that were listening to Paul. All this can be drawn out of Habakkuk. So if we go back to chapter 1, verse 5, we've got to ask that same question. Would, would God really use someone that his Jewish people would never have guessed to do his purposes? Would God really use a tactic or a strategy that his Jewish people would not believe to draw all people to himself? Paul is standing in front of the synagogue saying, yes, he would, and that person is Jesus. That person is Jesus. Was Jesus who the Jews had expected to be their Messiah? No. I mean, he came teaching to love your neighbor, respect for authority. He didn't come to overthrow the ruling party. He came to be a sacrifice. So Jesus would not have been expected. His methods would not have been approved. But Jesus was a tactic, a strategy, a person that no one would have believed God would use to fulfill his purposes, even if they were told. Jesus was a person that God used that no one would have believed he would use even if they had been told that. Sound a little bit like what Paul said in Acts 13, 41? Sound a little bit like the prophet in Acts 1, 5? Give a guy a microphone and you never know what he's going to do with it. So why? This is the question we've been asking. Why did Paul quote Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5? Why that verse? I think it was for two reasons. I think it was a warning, and I think it was a choice. First, the warning part. Most people believe that Paul quoted that passage in Habakkuk, and he used the Greek version. If you notice, in the Hebrew version in our Old Testaments, it doesn't say, look, you mockers, be amazed and die. But that's the Greek version. So Paul said that to grab their attention. And most people see that as a warning, okay? So Paul says, he stands up and says, hey, men of Israel and you God-fearing Jews, I've just told you your history. I've just told you how Jesus fits into your history. And now I want you not to miss the story of Jesus. Don't miss that it's him alone that offers forgiveness. Don't miss that it's him that makes you right with God. Don't miss this believe in him because if you don't, I think he's saying your fate is going to be worse than the people that, that Habakkuk was prophesying to. Your fate is going to be worse than the Israelites who came in and got their tails kicked by the Chaldeans. Your eternal fate will be worse than that. Listen to my message, I think Paul was saying. That's the warning. Now for us today in our nation, we, we don't have a history where another nation came in and, and beat us up. But we still have to take that warning to a warning and a choice. Here's the choice. Paul says, choose to believe this story of Jesus. Choose to follow Jesus. It's a pivotal choice that will drastically affect your life. It's not like it's just like, hey, choose Jesus and life will be awesome. And if you don't choose him, life's still going to be okay. Paul doesn't lay it out like that. Paul later writes several letters to different churches, one of those being to the church in Corinth. And in his second letter, he tells them, people who choose to follow Christ have a certain fragrance, a certain aroma about them. 
Listen to it. In 2 Corinthians, it's actually chapter 2. Uh, the bulletin insert has it wrong. That's my fault in there. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, Paul says, Our lives, so people who are following Christ, our lives are like a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. Jesus is good news for those who choose to believe, but for those who don't, he's not. It's not a good message for those that don't believe. One commentator writes, he says, that which is meant for good news and which is designed as good news is in fact bad news for another kind of people. It simply makes worse their condemnation of those who in their blindness have seen it and have new, who have new, neglected it and disobeyed it summons to belief and acceptance in Jesus Christ. Commentator writes, there's excuse for a man who has never had a chance, but there is no excuse for the man who has seen the splendor of the offer of God and has rejected it. That which is a gift of love to those who take it is a condemnation to those who refuse it. Paul is telling the people in his day, I am telling us today, we must choose to believe Jesus. We must choose to follow. We must choose to trust. We must choose to obey. It's a choice. And I think that Paul quotes Habakkuk 1.5 to say, look, be warned, but you have a choice for them and for us. Hey, if we truly believe what's written in these pages, that Jesus is the only way to the Father, that Jesus forgives sins, that his death on the cross makes us right with God. If we truly believe that, then without Jesus, it's not a good end. We've got to act on this choice, and we need to share this story. Hear me on this, okay? It is not my goal. It's not my purpose to scare you out of hell. It's not my purpose to scare you into heaven. I don't want to stand up here and say, make the choice for Jesus because God wants to throw you in hell and you're going to burn forever. God doesn't want that. 2 Peter 3, 9 says he wants all to come to him. So it's not my purpose to scare you to a choice in Christ. And I don't think it was Paul's choice or Paul's decision or Paul's tactic to scare his people either. Yes, Habakkuk 1, 5 was a strong warning. But you look at what Paul and Barnabas told the people following his message. Verse 43, it says, Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. Paul could have said, You better make a choice because you're going to burn. But he doesn't. He says, Rely on God's grace. Grace. Paul talked a lot about grace. And he often coupled it with faith, grace and faith, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace we have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself, nothing you have done. When Paul quotes Habakkuk 1, 5, I think he's hoping, I mentioned this verse, that people are going to think about Habakkuk 2, 4, where it says the just shall live by faith. And then he says, rely on God's grace. See, I think what Paul is doing is laying it out. He's being bold and blunt and direct where he needs to. And then he's pointing back the people to the grace of God. 
We have choices today. I think the majority of us have been following Christ for a long time. So we've made that choice to follow Christ. But there might be people in here who have never made that choice. Today's the day you could. We'll give you an opportunity in just a second. You've got you to choose to follow Christ. There, there may be people who have made that choice to follow Christ and yet have wandered. They've been living their life in a way that is no longer following Christ. I want to give you the chance today to choose to follow Jesus again from this day forward. And in fact, we're going to do this in a way where it doesn't single anybody out because every single day we have to get up in the morning and choose to follow Jesus that day. We have to make that choice that day. Am I correct? Whether we've been following Christ for 90 years or for nine minutes, we have to say, Jesus, I'm choosing you today. So here's what I want us to do. We're going to call this an old-fashioned altar call without the individual raising their hand. If you have to daily make a choice to follow Jesus, if you have been wandering from your faith and you want to return to faith in Christ, if you have never chosen to say, Jesus, your Lord, and I want to follow you, If any of those three things is accurate, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand, okay? And then we're going to pray together. So again, if you've never chosen to follow Christ, but you want to today, we're going to have you stand. At the same time as anybody who's been following Christ has wandered in their faith and wants to come back to it, you guys are going to stand at the same time as anybody who has to make a daily choice to follow Christ. Does that make sense? Okay, so if you fall into any of those three categories, I invite you to stand. And I'm going to stand. Let's pray. God, you have a people that have gathered together that are standing before you saying, Today, Lord, we choose Jesus. And I thank you for that. God, for, for those who have never made that choice before, who, who don't, may not know, you know if there's specific words to say or not, God, we just encourage you to encourage them to say, Jesus, I'm choosing you today. I'm accepting your forgiveness. I want to be right with God because of you. Forgive us. God, for those who have wandered from the faith who are today coming back saying, I, I, need, I need to change, I need to repent from where I've been, I've heard, I've tasted and seen, I know that the Lord is good and I want to come back to that. Lord, for them, I pray for forgiveness. I pray for healed hearts. And I prayed for a renewed joy of their salvation. And Lord, for those who are standing because they are choosing today, to follow you. I pray for the boldness to tell this old, old story to themselves again and to anybody who may listen. God, we have been warned, but we have been reminded of your grace that saves us through faith. We thank you for the story today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing one more song.
And some of that depends on if Tim fixed his guitar string. Yeah? Forgiven because you were forsaken, and I'm accepted. You were condemned, and I'm alive and well. The Spirit is within me because you died and you rose again. Sing that again. And I'm forgiven. Because you were forsaken, I'm accepted, you were condemned, and I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you died and you rose again. Amazing You, my King, would die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor Because you were forsaken, I'm accepted, you were condemned, and I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you If the sun has set you free, you are free indeed. 
told the church, he said, brothers, and I would add sisters, brothers and sisters, listen, we are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God. What a fantastic, fantastic story. Amen. Now, listen, if you made the choice to follow Jesus for the first time, or if you made the choice to come back to faith in Christ, Hopefully you looked around and saw that just about everybody was standing because it is a daily choice. And if you made either of those first two, come and talk to me because we want to figure out a way to walk with you in this journey. This week, as you choose to follow Jesus, may God bless you and protect you. May he smile upon you and be gracious to you. May he show you his favor and give you his peace. Amen Amen. and amen.